it's just an honor and a privilege to praise God and worship alongside of you. Amen. I hope you'll join with me and, and just enter right in. Amen. Nothing brings me more joy than giving God glory. Amen. This never gets old to me. Amen. I hope it never gets old to you. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song together. I bless your name. I bless your name. I bless your name. I give you honor. I give you praise.
I want to see 
opens our eyes tonight, eyes of our heart that we could see His Word. Amen. Chase away all doubt and fear. Amen. In each and every one's life. Amen. We're going to change the order of our service at this time. And Amen. It's just... God bless you. Praise the Lord. It's good to be gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, gathered in the presence of the Lord, regardless of wherever we are. And if you could, if you're at home and it's your custom to stand, and if you're uh, together and you'd like to stand, if we could just stand, I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer and just say a word of blessing upon our service this evening and uh, welcome each one who's uh, streaming and those who are gathered together to hear the word of the Lord this evening. And just before we go to the Lord in prayer, I'd like to make a special announcement. I was told this. I haven't been able to verify it by looking into birth records or anything. But today, Brother Billy Ivey is celebrating his 50th birthday. So we say happy birthday to Brother Billy. And, uh, and God bless you. May the Lord be your, your portion. But let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to be in this service and in our midst tonight, wherever we may be gathered. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so happy to be gathered together in your name knowing that when we, when we gather in your name as family, when we gather as a body of Christ, we come not just in a, a name that is given to uh, call upon someone, but a name which speaks of your character and your person and your attributes. And so, Lord, tonight as we've gathered, we desire that you would come in our midst, wherever we may be, that you take the bread of life and you would break it to us, Lord. And in breaking that bread of life, it would impart to us strength for our journey. Lord, we pray for our pastor, Brother Barry, as he's recovering from his surgery. Lord, we are pleased to hear that it went well. And Lord, we know that there's some pain and, and some discomfort that will follow. But Lord, may you quickly mend, Lord, the, even the incisions. May you quickly mend and heal the, the procedures, Lord, the things that were done. May he be back even better than ever in terms of his, uh, his, his arm, Lord. We just pray that you touch him and bless him. Be with those in our body that are sick and needy. Lord, no written prayer requests that were turned in tonight or brought to my attention. But Lord, we bring the body of Christ before you, desiring that you touch each one and, and make them well and be with them and be their portion. And Lord, bless this service, Lord, as we turn to the word even right now. May, you just, uh, may your presence be felt, Lord. May you have the preeminence in our, our setting and in our gathering, wherever it may be. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. While you're standing, I'd like to take uh, Psalms 89 as my text. Psalms 89, verses 14 to 16. And read this and uh, just jump right into the Word this evening. And I trust you're feeling right at home. Uh, I feel, I'm feeling at home. Glad to be preaching uh, behind my, uh, my, the, my home church's pulpit. It's a great privilege after some of the last several services I've ministered have been away. So we're glad to be back home tonight. Psalms 89 verses 14 to 16. It says, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. Amen. I love those verses. May the Lord add his blessing to these words which we've read. You can be seated. 
And those of you streaming at home, we trust that you could just focus your attention on the things that the Lord has laid upon my heart as we feel that God has given us an opportunity to speak to the body of Christ, and we're grateful for it. And I thank Brother Barry uh, for the opportunity that he granted to fill in for him uh, while he's uh, recovering from his surgery. That My title tonight is, Do You Remember What Day It Is? And uh, Brother Jeremy uh, called me yesterday, and, and I'm kind of telling on him a little bit. And just right at the outset of the conversation, he said, what day is it? Is today Monday? I said, no, it's Tuesday. And I said, but that was just perfect because my title for tomorrow night is, do you remember what day it is? And with kind of without some of the bookmarks of going to church on Sundays and uh, with a different order of service in the midweek, it's easy for us to forget what day is it? Is it Monday? Is it Thursday? And it all kind of blends together. And so it's kind of Monday, Thursday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, uh, every day in, in, the, in our house. So my title is, Do You Remember What Day It Is? And I've been studying in the sermon, God's Only Provided Place of Worship. And I want to read several portions. I'm going to read several paragraphs from paragraph 87 to 90, and then um, skip to paragraph 278 and then 284, just to kind of set the context for what's been in my heart and to emphasize this thought, do you remember what day it is? But Abraham says, now think, these men, he's talking about the Pharisees, these men, why were they called and put in this condition, these Pharisees, by Jesus? And said, in vain you worship me. You worship him, genuine worship, true worship from their hearts. He says, you, in vain you worship me. So you're supposed to worship him. Genuine worship is in spirit and in truth. He's saying their worship is vanity. In vain you worship me. He says, why? Teaching for doctrine the tradition of men. Therefore, you make the commandments of God of no effect to the people. And then he makes a very incredible statement. He says, if I taught you a Methodist message, it would take no effect on you. This is bride time. So he's wanting to orient us to the particular message for our time. He says, if I taught you a Methodist message, that would be for a different day. And it wouldn't take effect on you because it's not the day that we're living in. He says, it's bride time. He says, if Moses taught the message of Noah, it would take no effect. Now, that maybe brings it into a different perspective, because here's Noah, a vindicated prophet, teaching the message of, or Moses teaching the message of Noah, two vindicated prophets, both of them with vindicated ministries, and Noah with the vindicated message. But he's saying, if Moses taught Noah's message, it still would take no effect. And this, to me, may be the most profound in this passage here. He says, if Jesus taught Moses' message, it would take no effect. So it's not the teacher that makes the message effective, but it's, it's the person who's called to teach it, and it's also the teaching or that which is taught that matters because that which is taught has to meet the season or the time that you're in. So he says, if Jesus taught Moses' message, it would take no effect. Now he's saying if the very Messiah took Moses' message and began to preach it, it would not be effective. And this is why. He says, the, because the predestinated seed are laying there that will only be watered by that type of water that's given for that seed. Now, we could take issue and say, well, water is water. It doesn't matter where it comes from or, or, or how it's been drawn. If it's water, you're to water the seed. But you have to understand the point that Brother Bantam's making and not try to digest the science of it and figure out just specifically why he's using water. But he's trying to make the point that it need, you need a specific type of message to bring the seed to life. If Jesus taught Moses' message, it wouldn't affect the seed. If Moses taught Noah's message, it would not affect the seed. If G Brother Branham came preaching, 
preaching a message from another day, it would take no effect on the predestinated seed. So he says it's got to have the type of water that's give for that seed. He says it won't grow any other condition. It must be the condition that grows it. So there's a specific condition that's going to grow the seed. And he's saying it has to be that condition. Otherwise, the seed won't produce or manifest or come to life. He says, now you can take a chicken egg and put it in an incubator, which should be under a hen, but it'll hatch anyhow. Put it under a pup, it would hatch. It's the warmness, the condition that makes it hatch. So it has to be under condition. Now, this next statement, I believe, cautions us to not go too far with this. Because we can say, well, if you're a genuine seed, it doesn't matter where you are. As long as you get in the atmosphere, you'll come to life. But Brother Bram's not trying to create this doctrine that no matter where you are and what you're doing, if you can get in the right kind of atmosphere in denominations or get into the right kind of atmosphere under in an incubator, it'll bring forth. He's just trying to make the point that the atmosphere is important to bring forth a chicken. The atmosphere is important to bring forth a life. And the condition is important for the seed to be expressed. So he says, you could take a good live egg and put it under a dead hen, it won't hatch. So if something's dead, he said it can't bring it to life. And I think that's the point he's trying to make, is there has to be specific conditions in the natural, and they can be simulated, but now he's going to bring us to a point that in our time and the day that we're living in, it has to be the right kind of conditions for the seed to come forth. He said, so it, he said, so it has to be under condition. See, it's the condition. Well, that's the way it is in this age that we're living in. You've got to find what is God's way of doing it for this age. So it's not, and God's way isn't an incubator. God's way isn't a pup. God's way is the original way. And he says, you've got to find what is God's way of doing it for this age. And that's what I would want to know. I would want to know God's way of doing it in this age, not Methodist age, not some other age, but the age that I'm living in. He said, that's what Luther found out. That's what John Wesley found. That's what the Pentecostals found in their age, God's age and time to do it. So he's actually brought us through the last three church ages of Luther, Wesley, and the Pentecostals. They all found God's age and his time to do it. Now, that, that establishes the order of the Reformation. That establishes the things that had transpired up even to the time of Brother Bram's ministry. But we know that there's something else that comes forth in the message that takes us beyond Luther, Wesley, and even Pentecost, the genuine Pentecost. He said, now there is a way, this is paragraph 278, there is a way, a pure holy way, a only meeting place that God will meet you. And that's what he's ministering on, God's only provided place of worship. There's so many things that have kind of been cut out of here, but I trust uh, you could just understand this specific point we're trying to make. He says, not because you say, uh, God, now I'm a good Methodist, I'm a good Baptist, I'm a good Pentecostal. No, because you are in Jesus the Word. The part of the word that's being manifested to today, this day's message. So you can say that you've met God and you can say that you're a part of God because you are a part of the word. You're a part of Jesus who is the word and not the word of some other day. But he says the part of the word that's being manifested to today, you are part of this day's message. So he's specifying a specific time and a specific message that we ought to avail ourselves to, to be in God's program or his provided place of worship. He says, not Luther's, Wesley's, or Pentecostal, but your Jesus. 
Now, I've listened to this quote dozens of times to try to find out just exactly what he's saying. Is he saying your Jesus as in a possessive Jesus or is he saying you are Jesus? And I listened to all many places where he says you are. And I've listened to many places where he says your as in possessive. And it sounds more like he's saying you are Jesus. But I believe regardless of how you put it, the point is well made. He's saying your Jesus, the reflection that has come up into this. So we have a Jesus that we're to see. We have a Christ that we're to recognize. He says, your Jesus, the reflection that has come up to this, not Luther, Wesley, Pentecost, but your Christ for your day, that's the manifestation in this day. And you could even take uh, uh, multiple quotes to see where Brother Bam says that you are the reflection of the message in this hour. So you are the Christ in this hour. So he says, you're the reflection that's come up to this. He says, you can't go back to that. That's adding leaven to your holy bread that man shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God in its season. So bread comes from God's mouth. But now there's a season for that bread to come forth. And that's the bread that we want to live by. Now, paragraph 284, and this is, uh, and I, I realize that it's just a wonderful pull on the word of God and a wonderful atmosphere that everyone is creating as they, as they tune into the service and as they focus their attention on the word. And so we're just using this opening quote as a foundation. Paragraph 284, he says, Yes, sir, when the Lutheran of that age, the Wesleys of their age, the Pentecostals of their age, he says the true ones, not the denominationals. And it's important to catch that he says the true ones because there are things that Brother Bam says in the church age book and other places in his ministry where he speaks of devil inspired men who got in and made a mess of Pentecost. And there's, it's true that Pentecost became something that God never intended it to be. But there were true genuines that were birthed in Laodicea under the restoration of the gifts and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He says the Lutherans of that age, the Wesley of their age, the Pentecostals, the true ones of their age, the Pentecostals. Pentecostals, the one that added leaven, their denomination died. So they are Pentecostal, organizational Pentecostals who added leaven to the Pentecostal message that was poured out in Laodicea. And he says they died. So he says the Lutheran of that age, the Wesley of their age, the Pentecostal of their age, he says, but this true word moving on, see. And you'll find where Brother Branham, and I took this quote out of my notes, where Brother Branham says the genuine Pentecostals, even in this day, look forward to the time that we're living in now. So he says, but this true word is moving on. See, just like Jesus said, at that day, you will know that I am in the father and the father is in me and I in you and you in me. He says, it's all the word. So Brother Branham is making a very uh, profound point. If Jesus taught Moses' message, it would take no effect because the predestinated seed can only be watered by the type of water or the type of word or quickened by the message that is for their time. Brother Bram says in Feast of the Trumpets, if I come with the message of Pentecost, I would be in the Laodicean church age and it wouldn't be right. So he's making the point that you have to have the specific message for your time. That has to come forth. That's the message that we have to be hearing in order for us to come to a place of maturity, in order for us to truly reflect the light of this hour. Now, with that as a foundation, and we're just continuing now in this thought of, do you remember what day it is? Jesus says in John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What a wonderful statement. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
So he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. So Jesus is referring to a specific time. We might call it a specific season. But he says, I must work while it is day. And then he says, the night comes. And when the night comes, no man can work while it is night. So he's con- the conditions of the day are suitable for work. And the conditions of night are not suitable for work. So he's wanting us to think about the conditions of the time, the conditions of the day. So he's referring to a specific season during which he, he was in the world and he was performing a certain work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. While I am here and there's light, I must work the works have sent me of him that sent me because now that I'm being manifested it is day and then when I'm gone it'll be night and these works cannot be done so he calls this time the day to distinguish this season from the night because there's certain characteristics of the night which makes it uh, it's not conducive to work so we're thinking about conditions as brother Branham talks about that must be the condition that grows the seed Jesus says I can only work while it is day Because when the night comes, there's darkness. And when it's dark, you cannot work appropriately. So he's identifying a dispensation of light. And in Isaiah, it prophesied that when the Messiah would come, great light would spring up. And it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region of shadow of death, light is sprung up. So this is the characteristic of Christ's ministry. He is light when he came to the earth. It's the very first characteristic of Christ in the rapture season. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So you can see the the, the symmetry there in this hour. In John chapter 1 verses 5 to 11. And maybe we'll just skip around. It says, and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. So it, the darkness was not able to lay a hold with the mind, the light. To comprehend it means to understand, to perceive, or to learn. And so the light was unable to perceive or to learn or to know. The darkness was unable to perceive or know the light. The light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In verse 9, that was the world. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. This is a paradox to think that light could be shining and as light is being shining, light is not being perceived. And you would think that if you shine a light in a dark room that, well, light, light just kind of absorbs the darkness or chases away the darkness and the darkness has to yield to the light. But Jesus is actually, and the Bible's identifying this phenomena that light can be shining and even though it's shining and being expressed, there's those who don't see it. Even the very ones to whom Jesus was sent. He came as to his own and his own received him not. He he made the world and came into the world and the world knew him not. Light was shining in darkness and darkness comprehended it not. This is a paradox. And this paradox extends not just to the world and not just to Israel as a whole, but you'll find that even those who walked closely to him, it was not just the world that struggled, but even the disciples struggled with the light as they tried to comprehend it. In Luke chapter 24, verse 21, it says, Those walking on the road to Emmaus, and I was just thinking of that song that Sister Rebecca Coffey sings, Reach Out Your Hand to Jesus, and how she wrote that song, and I've just been singing it in my heart all day long. Don't let them pass you by. Lift up your hands, sing, lift up your voice, sing hallelujah to Him, because we don't want to, we don't want His presence to go unrecognized. We don't want His presence to go unnoticed. We don't want Christ to sit there with dirty feet. 
And here these, they're walking on the road to Emmaus. And Brother Branham tells us that Jesus drew near to them, but because of the condition of the time, they were too sad and tore up to recognize Christ. And so when Jesus says, why is it that you're sad? And, and why are you so downtrodden? What's going on? And they said, oh, are you a stranger? Do you not know what's going on? And they start to tell him. And it says, but we trusted, verse 21, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. So this is their attitude. We believed and thought that this would be the one that would redeem Israel. So their redemption of Israel had a particular image to it, a certain characteristic, a certain manner that he would be working, a certain result would be produced from his ministry. And he's saying that we had thought that he would be the one which was to have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, this is the third day since these things were done. Now, if I could say this, and then I want to bring another scripture in Acts chapter 1. His disciples were not seeing the day that they were living in. They had even recognized Christ and the Messiah and they'd walked with him and they believed in him. They believed that he would be the redeemer of Israel. But now even when the very things that he said would come to pass were coming to pass, it's still not clicking with them because they say, and this is the third day since these things were done. And that should have alerted them to him to the fact that he said, I would raise on the third day. They say, and certain of the, of our, uh, of our group went and checked the, the tomb and he was missing. And this still doesn't trigger in their mind the word that he had said because they were not recognizing or seeing the light of their day fully. In Acts chapter one, verses four to nine. And now this is how he continued to appear to his disciples until they had confidence in what he was trying to do. It says, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now think of just how long it was from the time that John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I told you that would baptize you with fire. Now many years later, it's finally coming to this place. A few years later, it's coming to this place where they're going to actually receive this promise. He says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now when he says this, it comes now to this verse 6. When they were therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Now he's already oriented them, saying, Remain in Jerusalem. Now you're going to be baptized with fire. But they still have this giant thought in their mind, this ideal, this idea that's very, very stubborn that they can't get rid of. And they asked him, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So it's the same attitude that the disciples on the road to Emmaus had. They're saying, is now not the time that you're going to redeem Israel? Is it going to come back to the kingdom that we envision it being? Is it going to look like what we think it should look like when the Messiah comes? And they still have this thought that he's going to redeem and restore the kingdom of Israel in this time. So they're not recognizing the day that they're living in. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power. In other words, it's not time for that promise. And he's also saying that's not a relevant promise to your calling and you to your dispensation. This isn't given to you to know this that time. It's not given to you to know that season. Those things are in the power of the father. These are some this is something he will bring to pass. And that time that you're looking to isn't relevant to the time that you're looking at. 
The time that you're living in. You've got to know the time that you're living in. So he brings them back to the promise for their day. The very thing that the presence of Christ was bringing them to for that coming. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. What was Jesus doing? He wasn't preaching Moses' message. He wasn't preaching Noah's message. He wasn't preaching a message of another day. He didn't even try and preach a message that was to the 144,000. He brought it back to the day that they were living in, brought them back to the promise for the moments that they were living in, but ye shall receive power. So just tarry in Jerusalem, wait until the promise comes, and then you'll be my witnesses. It says, and when he had spoke these things, now that he had focused them and set them on the right path, it says, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So as he's telling them and orienting them, pointing them, telling them to remain and leading them to that upper room. And that was the that was the climax of their promise for that day to birth the church, to be sealed and baptized in the kingdom of God by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Says a cloud received him out of their sight, received him out of their sight. So the, the, the point that I would like just to reemphasize through these many different scriptures, Jesus says it's day I am the light of the world. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And now it's day while I'm here, so I must work while I'm here. And so light had come. And then there's those in the world who do not perceive the light. There's those that he was sent to whom they did not receive him. And then there's those that were called by his message and were walking with him. And the disciples still were having a hard time fully recognizing what day it was. And they kept looking for something different to happen. Now, we wouldn't say something better, something greater, just something different. Because it's important many times to not try to make something greater. If God's doing something today, it doesn't have to be greater than what he did yesterday. What is important is that you catch what he's doing now and that you're in the promise for now because that's what's needful. And so it wasn't that they were looking for something better. They just didn't see what he was actually doing. They kept looking for something different to happen. And our brother Brandon makes this statement as we just want to start zeroing in on the time that we're living in. He says in broken cisterns, and so he come first to redeem his bride. And that's his first coming that we've been read about. Then he says he comes second, catch his language here. And this is in a very important stretch of sermons there in the summer of 64. And I sometimes think that maybe someone's going to write a ballad for the message called the summer of 64 because it's a real turning point and the unfolding of that seventh seal. And he says, so he come first to redeem his bride. He comes second, listen, as a rapture. You catch that. He doesn't say he comes in a certain way, in a certain physical manifestation, but he's speaking of how he comes. He comes as a rapture to take away his bride. Now, that's very important to understand. The second coming, he comes as a rapture to receive a bride to himself, to take his bride away. He says he comes third with his bride, king and queen. Now, those are the three comings that relate to the Gentile bride. He comes to purchase redemption for his bride, to pay a price for his bride. He says to redeem his bride. He comes second as a rapture to receive a bride unto himself. He comes a third time with his bride. So to redeem, to receive, and to come with. And when he points to the one, the third coming, he comes with his bride, king and queen. That's when he comes back to earth in a physical body. Jesus Christ, his physical body was set flesh, uh, foot on earth in the millennium. But he doesn't do it before that time. It's when he comes with his bride that certain scriptures are fulfilled. And Brother Bam says that's when many people are expecting the coming. 
And this is a very important statement to, uh, to, to catch. Brother Bram is recognizing that many people who are looking for his coming are actually associating the characteristics of his third coming to his second coming as a rapture. And because they're looking for him to appear in a certain way that's associated with his third coming, they don't actually see him when he comes as a rapture to take the bride away. He said, that's when many people are expecting the coming. But when he comes this time as a rapture, that's my words injecting that. But when he comes this time, hardly none but those who are ready will know when he comes. Why? Because to the bride, the rapture is a revelation. It's not something that all the inhabitants upon earth can behold with their natural eye. It's a revelation to the bride. And he's saying his second coming, he comes as a rapture. Many people are expecting the third coming. And because they do, when he comes this time, hardly none will notice it except those who know when he comes by revelation. And so to bring you uh, with this... uh, just another step. I realize I may just I may cover a whole lot of ground uh, tonight, and I'm actually going to take advantage of the time that you would normally be driving home. Uh, I'm just going to keep preaching on your drive home tonight, and uh, and I know that uh, there's just really no one here to get mad at me and look at their watch and think we got to get the kids to bed because it's just easier right now. In Second Peter chapter one verses twelve to thirteen, this is burned in my heart so deeply this past day. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. And I feel I could echo that myself, that I feel this burden. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them. What I'm preaching tonight, I'm not trying to apprise you of something, inform you of something you didn't know before, or try to bring something because I think you don't know this. I, I, I feel compelled to put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established. He says, be established in the present truth. Be strengthened in the present truth. That word established means placed firmly in the present truth. Not in a message of a day gone by. Not just in a portion of the message of the hour. But in the entirety of the life that's been brought forth through this message. That we must not only be refreshed in our minds and stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance. But we must be established in the present truth. It doesn't do us any good just to acknowledge present truth. We must be established and strengthened. Made firm and firmly fixed and placed firmly in the present truth. And this just resonated in my heart. And I feel that I could say this as I'm here with you in this season. I think, he says, yea, verse 13, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle. Let me say this as a, as your servant and as your friend in this church, as long as I am in Hickory Bible Tabernacle, I think it's meet that I stir you up by putting you in remembrance. This is what uh, this is what we must do as men of God. We've been given a perfect message. I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, as long as I am in this flesh, this tabernacle. I am under a commission to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Remembrance of a present truth that's been brought to us. Do you remember what day it is? It is the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So many scriptures we could emphasize on this point. Do you remember what day it is? And I felt to say, not to ask the question, do you know what day it is? Because the Bible says you know what day it is. 
Peter's saying, I, I'm going to put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them, so that you could be established in the present truth. I'm just wanting you to remember by way of question. Do you remember what day it is? The day that we're in is the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Let me be so bold as to say that we're not merely in the days of Lot and the days of Noah. The bride is in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The world's in the day of Lot. The world's in the day of Noah. But the bride is in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Why, Brother Branham showed us that down there in the valley, there was messengers sent to Lot and his family down in Sodom. But there was a messenger that stayed back with Abraham and his group. It was a separated gathering. It was a separated meeting. It was as if it was night and day. The messenger that was with Abraham and the messengers that went into Sodom. We have to remember what day it is. It's the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so our focus isn't on the days of Lot. My goodness, if we got together, if it was allowable, uh, we could all get together and we could talk for hours on, how, on the days of Lot. We could talk for hours on the days of Noah. We could talk for hours about Laodicea, but that's not what our focus is. Our focus is on the revealing of the Son of Man. Brother Bam says, in trying to do God a service, and I had uh, just a, a, a series of quotes that I was building that just really took a, a hold of these last Several days of Brother Bam's ministry, the last several sermons of Brother Bam's ministry. And, and it, it's quite remarkable because then this afternoon, uh, Brother Donnie Reagan shared a, a group text. He sent a text out to a number of people. Uh, and it was a, a, a documentary on the last days of Brother Branham. And it, I felt it was just a, a great summation as I've been in these last, over this last week, looking at all these sermons leading up to Brother Branham's passing away and the things that he was emphasizing in the final days of his ministry. And then just this afternoon, as I was in the office early to watch that documentary of the last days of Brother Branham, it just sealed it so beautifully. And he says this, in trying to do God a service, this is at the businessman's breakfast on November 27th in, in Shreveport of, of 1965. He says, now let us see what happened when God in his time, in his age, and his prophets are not considered. So there's something that happens. In trying to do God a service, there was things that were happening. It was a great shout and a great move, and things seemed really exciting. But they had not consulted God's man for the hour. They had not consulted uh, the prophet. And he says, let's look what happened when God, in his time, in his age, in his prophet. So in God's time, in his age, he has a message and a messenger. Let's see what happens when it's not considered, and you just depend on theology, priest, and denominationalism like we do today. He said, now closely, it all gets messed up. If the true spirit of God is there, it'll direct it into the word. Not just one place in the word, the entire word for the entire age. So it, you can't just point out, well, Brother Bram said this here, and Brother Bram said this there, or the Bible says this. You've got to point the spirit of God and the spirit of truth will direct it to the entire word for the entire age. Now that the seals are open, the spirit of truth directs us to the word for our age. Not just here a little and there a little, but now it's the entire word that's brought to view. So it's, it's got it's to be the entire word for the entire age. He said the day of Pentecost. So on the day of Pentecost, the spirit directed right into that to Joel 2.28. And when he did, he placed that in the body of Christ for the, for the remainder of the ages. But at that time, the day of Pentecost, the spirit directed that truth to the church. He says the day of Luther, it directed it right into that. Wesley, it directed it right into that with my words there. In the last Pentecostal move. 
So you could see that in each one of these ages, the Holy Spirit comes and he directs the promise for that hour to the church. And it's the spirit of truth placed in a truth within the church. And now once it's been placed in the church, God doesn't take it out. So we have a Pentecostal experience today. We have an experience of justification. We have the, the truth of sanctification. We have the truth of the restoration of the gifts and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He says, but... Notice he says, but this is another age. This is the calling out of the bride. So remember, it's got to be the message for this age, which will meet the conditions for the seed to be brought forth. So the seed in this hour is for a bride to be called out. So there's got to be another message for another age for this bride to be called out. He said, but this is another age. This is the calling out of the bride, not 2,000 years ago at Pentecost or the repeat or the return. So he's not saying that this is just a repeat or return of what happened on the day of Pentecost because that established the church. Now there's a message in this hour that's going to rapture the church. Not just birth it, but bring it to maturity. Not just bring it into existence, but the same word that's brought it from the feet. Now it's in the eyes, it's in the head. The intelligence has come. Burma says, now it's fixing to go. So this is another age. So the, the, the word, the spirit in this hour, it's got to direct it into the entire word for the entire age. And he says just a couple paragraphs later, but now is the bride calling. He said, this is another age. This is the calling out of the bride. So he says it this way. Now is the bride calling. Now is the seven seals. Now is when the seven seals have been opened. Now, why would he say that? Because it's the opening of the seven seals that calls the bride. He says, now is the bride calling time. Now is the calling out of the bride. It's the opening of the seven seals that brings the bride forth. It's the opening of the seven seals that prepares the bride. It's the opening of that word. You say, well, the opening of the seals, what is that? Well, it's Christ. It's Christ the word being made known and being unveiled to the bride. That is the what prepares the bride in the hour that we're living in. As we're reading God's only provided place of worship, that's what must, that's what meets the conditions. That's the condition that grows it is the word that's revealed under the opening of those seals. That was actually God's answer to the darkness of Laodicea is to open those, that word. So God has given us, if I could put it this way, God has given us all we need to know the day that we're living in, to know how to prepare, to know how to act. You go, what, listen to a man running from the presence of the Lord in different places. Reverend says, open up these great mysteries, reveal to us these hidden mysteries and these great truths so we can live, know how to act and how to prepare ourselves. And so it's the light of this word that's been opened to us is the condition that we need to be placed. And God has given us all we need. So what we must look to is the word, not the conditions of the world, not the conditions of Laodicea, not the conditions during a pandemic, not the conditions of the economies and not the conditions of governments and hospitals. Those aren't our parameters. Those aren't our benchmarks. Those aren't the metrics that we're looking to. Where's the curve at to know where the bride's at on the scale of things? Listen, the bride doesn't have a curve. She has a trajectory that's just going straight up. In the preview of the bride, Brother Branham saw Laodicea curving straight down into darkness, but he saw the bride taking step higher and a step higher, and all we've got to do is get back in line and stay in step to keep going higher. That's the promise that we look to in this hour. We have no other metrics. We have no other measuring stick that we look to. Israel may be God's timepiece, but it's more like a calendar and not a stopwatch where we're just staring at Israel, waiting for something to happen in Israel. No, God has said to us, you've received your last sign. 
The bride has received her last sign before the change. And I'm looking at the word of God for my change. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, it says, But if our gospel be hid, notice this, as we can make application of this in our day. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. That's quite a statement. Paul said it first. So how, how many people take issue and say, well, if you don't see it, you're just not saved. If you don't see it, you're just not seed. If you don't see it, you're lost. And they think that you've, you've said something crazy or cuckoo. Paul said it first. If you don't see the gospel, it's because you're lost because the gospel's hid to them that are lost. It says, in whom the God of this world. So now he's saying that what Satan has done is he has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So, so because they are lost and because the, they believe not, the God of this world blinds their eyes so that the light of Christ cannot shine unto them. And Paul is contrasting two different groups of people, those who are blind and stumbling in darkness and the others who are in light. There's those who are blind, stumbling in darkness, which would be the characteristics of Laodicea, but then you have the rest and the others who are walking in light. Laodicea is blind and unknowing. They, they are veiled. They are, they, God is hid from them. But he's saying that there is a glorious light of the gospel which is shining. And Brother Bram says in the message, Shalom, the world is one of them in one of the most chaotic times of darkness that it's ever stood in. And that was true when Brother Branham was preaching. And it's true of the spiritual condition of the world and the spiritual condition of Laodicea. Brother Branham called this age the most ridiculous church age. And so he says this is the, the world is standing in one of the most chaotic times of darkness that it's ever stood in. And now with the, the complexity that's poured out upon the world and all the uncertainty that's in economies and in the healthcare systems and jobs and all these things, it just is compounded by the spiritual darkness that's in the world. He says so it's in the most chaotic chaotic time of darkness it's ever stood in and yet it's standing in again the most blessed light that it ever did shine in now that's a paradox it's in one of the most chaotic times of darkness that it's ever been in but it's in the most blessed light that it's ever did shine in think about that on one hand it's in the most chaotic times of darkness but on the other hand the most blessed light that it ever did shine in so you have light and darkness and it's God's nature to separate light from dark. And again, it's the paradox of how light could come into the world as we read in John chapter 1. Light could be shining and the darkness comprehend it not. And brother, I'm saying there's a chaotic time of darkness upon the earth, but yet there's a blessed light that's shining on the earth. And brother, Bram says in the invisible union, God has separated us from all the dead religions. Amen to that. God has separated us from all the dead religions. He said, I'm speaking across the nation now. All the dead creeds. And to what? So he separates you from something to join you to something else, which is Christ. The invisible union of the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ has been united to her bridegroom invisibly. He separated you to what? Separated us and opened to us a new land, a new message for this day. This is the reality of the time that we're living in. He has separated us from dead denominations and dead religions and opened up to us a new land, a new message for this day. Pentecost dried up and died like Luther, Wesley, and the rest of them. Remember, you can't place a, a live egg under a dead hen and it bring forth. So he's saying these things are all dead. You can't get it under a dead hen. So God has to separate you from the dead hens. He's got to separate you from the dead religions. 
Pentecost dried up and died like Luther, Wesley, and the rest of them. It's no more than a bunch of churches pulled together. Good people in there yet has got to come out. There's good people in there, but God's not going to give them their birth in there. In order for them to be birthed, they have to be taken out from underneath that dead hen and put under the light of God's word. Had to be put in the conditions that makes it grow. And now just skipping just a little bit, he says it's a bunch of churches pulled together. He says, but this blessed revelation of the seven seals, it's open to us in this last days. This is a blessed revelation of the seven seals. It's open to us in this last days. And because this revelation, this blessed revelation has been open to us in the last days, it's open to us a new land and a new message for this day. So we can say this day, there's a new message. This day, there's a new land. There's been a new day opened up to us by the opening in the revelation of the seven seals. It's opened up to us something. And it's that entrance that separated us from all the dead hens. That's how God has separated us from dead religions. Not by just creating another religion and creating another doctrine and creating another denomination. No, by revealing himself and bringing us out of dead denominations. And so it's Revelations 18.4. I may just start rehearsing in your ears some of the scriptures, some of the sounds, if I could put it that way, some of the sounds that we've heard in this hour. Revelations chapter 18, verse 4. Now here's John says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. This is the this is the message of the hour to us. Brother Branham identifies his ministry with Revelations 18 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. Here's Brother Branham preaching in visible union saying God has separated us to a new land, a new message. A blessed revelation has opened up to us in this last days. And he's actually preaching to come out of denominations, come out of organization, come out of Babylon, separate yourself from that mindset, come to the revealed word what is it it's another voice saying come out of her my people and says and john says and i heard another voice so we can say we like john have heard that voice and could you say amen to that i like john i have heard another voice i haven't heard the voice of babylon i haven't heard the voice of confusion i haven't heard the voice of chaos but i heard another voice which was sent from heaven saying come out of her my people that's the voice that we hear It's another voice we, like John, have heard and seen. And so there's a scriptural promise at the end of Laodicea. And I I really want to emphasize this because it's remarkable. At the end of Laodicea, something happens that doesn't happen at the end of any other church age. But at the end of Laodicea, there's a scriptural promise. In an age with no compliment, in an age where God does not recognize anything good or complimentary about that age, he's going to reject that age, and that age has also rejected Christ. So in an age with no compliments, and Christ becomes a fugitive from it to his own church, Christ is kicked out of his church. So in this Laodicean passage, when you read in Revelations chapter 3, and you get to verse 19, it can be said that Christ has been pushed out of the church. He's a fugitive. Now he's no longer in the midst of the church. So now, he got, but God is not finished He still has another message and another voice in in this Laodicean age. In Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. 
This is what God does. He's not finished yet. When Laodicea is in the most awful, filthy, most chaotic condition the world has ever been in, God is not finished. Even though Christ is pushed out, he's on the outside. Now there's a message. There's a voice knocking. And if any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him. I'm not coming into the organization. I'm not coming into denomination. I'm not coming into man's ideas. I'm not coming into all this organization. I'm not even coming into Laodicea, but I'm coming into him. I'm coming into the one who's opened. I will come into him and I will feast with him and I will sup with him and he will feast and sup with me. That's the voice that we heard. We heard another voice saying, come out of her, my people. We've heard a voice at the door and we've opened. We've heard something different. Revelation chapter 10, verses 7, 8 and 9. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, You'll find that no other church age messenger is given a voice like this. Where if any man hear my voice and then we see this voice, it's actually connected with these very things in Revelations 10. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And now John, now put yourself in the place of John. Just as John said, and I heard another voice, just like John, you heard that voice. John saw these things, just like John, you see these things. He says, and the voice which I heard, the bride also heard this voice from heaven, which spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. So there's this mighty angel symbolically standing on the land and upon the sea. And John hears a voice saying, go and take the little book which is open from the hand of that angel. Now this is a mighty angel. And John, once he hears this commandment to go, he says in verse 9, and I went unto the angel. Oh, hallelujah, put yourself right in there in the footsteps of John. I heard another voice come out of her, my people. And I heard a voice saying, go and take the book from him who has that. The one that has the book and take it. He says, and I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up. So there's actually a further revelation of the message. Once you come in contact with the mighty angel and the mystery of God is being finished, you hear a voice saying, go to him who has the book. Go to the mighty angel who has this open mystery, the seven sealed book open. Go to him and tell him that you want it. Go and take the little book which is open. And then when you go to him, he says, take it. But then there's a further revelation of the mystery. He says, eat it up. But you can only catch that voice and only be given permission to take it and eat it when you've come to him and you've seen him. And he says, give me the book. And he says, take it and eat it. It's a further revelation of the message. And Brother Branham says, I want to read this statement just for one, one part in here where he praises God for what we see in this hour. In the message, the indictment. He said, the old system is done. There was a new one and the lamb was at the sacrifice. The sacrificial lamb was on the grounds. And as he's talking about the parallel of that day when they crucified Christ to the hour that we're living in now, they were condemning and doing the very thing that they had to do. He says, that's right. God be blessed for seeing this wonderful heavenly light in this last day. God be blessed that we have the ability to see this wonderful heavenly light in this last day. Could that resonate in your heart? Is that something that you could say? God be blessed. Bless God. Thank you, Lord, for letting us see this wonderful heavenly light in this last day. He says, because the churches are doing the same thing today. What are they doing? They're crucifying the word again. 
He says, until the hour that organized religion is condemned and proved to be sacrificing Christ's words, from then on comes the word and the word only. And he says, that's just been recently. At the opening of the word, at the opening of the seven seals, Christ is made known. And the denominations were quick to crucify it, quick to reject him. But Brother Bass says, God be blessed for seeing this wonderful heavenly light in this last day. Now it's the word and the word only. Many people have made something, that phrase is not the word and the word only. They've made it cold, they've made it sterile, they've stripped it of its power. But it's truth, the word and the word only. And God be blessed for seeing this wonderful heavenly light in this last days. God be blessed that we as John have heard a voice. We like John have seen a mighty angel. And I want to come to the text which we had read. In Psalms 89, it just stood out to me so much as almost prophecy of the time that we're living in. I'll read through these three verses, but I'll just inject certain things in here. In Psalms 89, verse 14, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. I'm just wanting you to remember what day it is. Do you remember what day it is? Can you recall? Can you re- With all the th- voices we're hearing, with all the charts and all the graphs and all the stats and all the numbers and all the rules and all the orders and all the, all the instructions that we've been receiving. And should I do this and should I do that? One day they say do this. The next day they say maybe you shouldn't do it. One day it's this. One day it's that. All these other voices out there in the land. It's making us forget what day it is. Do you remember what day it is? He says, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Now think of the promise of this day. Think of the things that we have seen. John says in Revelation chapter 10 verse 1, And I saw. And just as John said, I saw. Can you say, I saw? John said, I heard a voice calling me out of Babylon. And we say the same thing. I heard another voice calling me out of Babylon. John now says, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with the cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was, as it were, the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Have you, have you seen another mighty angel in this hour? Now, Brother Brown begins to identify this, because I'm wanting to amplify justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. And Brother Branham says, and when the angels of the Lord appeared out there, For the seven seals, and it went up into the air, which we have the picture of it here, and over the country. Now, I'll just go ahead, and and I'll just want to share with you uh, where this picture is most prominently published. And so, I want to show you this slide from Life magazine. And this is where we have the most pronounced uh, pictures of the, the cloud being published. And on the very cover of Life magazine, the very issue, May 17th, 1963, the very issue that published the picture of the cloud, it says Rockefeller's honeymoon. And this was the richest man in the world. And now he, the richest man in the world is on a honeymoon. What a foreshadowing of how of the union of Christ to his bride and the honeymoon that's going to be soon coming. And then on the, on the next uh, page, if we could, I need to get this... Uh, Maybe I need to do the slideshow, launch the slideshow here. And then, and then in the next slide, I don't know if it's actually rendering for you, but we'll bring it up here in just a moment. But there's a, it's the next slide shows a, a, a page called Rainbow of Moonbeams. And it's expressing a phenomena where uh, uh, the, the, the light of the sun and the light of the moon combined to make a rainbow which would be broadcast 
uh, uh, which could be seen in the sky. And so the page begins, it says a rainbow of moonbeams. And, and it seems to be that this is the sole article. It's just a rainbow of moonbeams. This is the sole thing. But when you go to the next page, there's the ellipsis there, the dot, 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 and a high cloud ring of mystery. So the very ones who published this, this picture of the rainbow of moonbeams, and then they published a high cloud ring of mystery, they actually connect them together because it's a rainbow of moonbeams and a high cloud ring of mystery. So in the very publication of Life magazine, they're connecting the rainbow on the, sub, the page before it with the cloud on the page after it. A rainbow of moonbeams and a high cloud ring of mystery. And, and I'll just show them here now and we'll keep the image up there as we go. We realize that if you take that picture, this high cloud ring of mystery, and you turn it right, what you see is the outline of the Hoffman's head of Christ. And then if you take that and you would actually project light through those two pages, just hold up the Hoffman's head of Christ, turn it right, and if you were to keep the moonbeams the right way and you impose it over one another, there's actually a rainbow that kisses the head of the cloud. And it actually says in Revelations chapter 10, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with the cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And right here in Life magazine, there's a rainbow that comes on the head of that cloud when you turn it right. And Brother Branham took it and said, now if you look at it, he says, you see that it's our Lord up there, and he identifies the Hoffman's head of Christ. And actually, if you go to Genesis chapter 9, verse 13, it says that there's going to be a, the rainbow is a token of my covenant. And it says in verse 14, when I, the Lord, do bring a cloud over the earth, a bow shall be seen in the cloud. So God himself prophesied, if I'm going to bring a cloud over the earth, when I do it, a bow will be seen in the cloud. God brought this cloud over the earth. Regardless of its criticisms, regardless of all the explanations, God brought this cloud over the earth. And when it was published in Life magazine, there's a bow that can be seen in the cloud. And a prophet tells us to look, that's our Lord up there. And the very scripture itself said, And I, the Lord, bring a cloud over the earth. A bow shall be seen in the cloud. So we'll just keep that picture up there as we go further in this, in this statement here. He says, that When the Lord appeared out there for the seven seals and went up in the air, which we have the picture of it here and around the country, there he was standing there, still wigged with that supreme authority. He is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. There's nothing like him anywhere. So what Brother Branham wants to identify and point out about this image, because God is declaring it in the heavens, he's declaring it in the skies as a sign of something that's transpiring on earth. And so this sign in the heavens shows that he is supreme authority. Just, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Brother Branham had trying to do God a service without it being his will. He said, something said to me, talk about this very picture, turn it right. I thought, well, I'm looking at it right said, turn it right. I thought maybe that voice means turn it to the right. And when I did, you see what it is. Hoffman's head of Christ at 33. Here, look in here. See his black beard, his face, his eyes, his nose and everything else. See the part of his hair here coming up. And he's wigged with that white angel wig to show that the message of him being God is the truth. And he says, he is the supreme judge of the universe, supreme judge of heaven. He is God and nothing else but God. And if we have the supreme authority, if we have the supreme judge, he comes with justice and judgment. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. And it says, and mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Mercy and truth goes before his face. 
And Paul even prophesies. Brother Bram says that Paul's revelation then was prophecy for today. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Paul's just being honest. Now it's kind of muddy. It's kind of clear. Maybe we can see a little bit. We can see something here, something there. He says, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even also as I am known. And Paul, what Paul is referring to is verse 10. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Now we see through a glass darkly. Now we're seeing in part and we see in portion and we see a little bit here, there a little, here a little, there a little. But then he says there's going to come a time when that which is perfect is come. He says that's when we will be able to see face to face. That's when we're going to know. And Brother Branham takes this scripture and he definitively says in question and answers that we're We're living in the hour and the time when that which is perfect has come. He says, and we do have today, by God's help, the perfect interpretation of the word with divine vindication. So we can say that which is perfect has come. You see, that which is perfect, it means that which is the finishing, that which is the full, that which is the complete. This is the finishing age. This is the climax age. This is the finishing of the mysteries. And at the opening of the word, the full word is to be born into manifestation. So we do have that which is perfect. That which is perfect is that which is finished, the finishing, that which is a full age, the Bible saying. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. I'm just using the book of Psalms to ask you the question, do you remember what day it is? Psalms 89 verse 15 now. As verse 14 says, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. And mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. Hallelujah. Blessed are the people that know the joyful sound. Brother Bram said the third pull, it speaks for itself. I'm so glad to know that joyful sound. Brother Bram talks about the rapture. He speaks and it'll come. I'm so glad that we've heard the joyful sound of Revelations 3.20. The joyful sound of Revelations 10.7. The joyful sound of Revelations 18.4. The joyful sound of 1 Thessalonians 4.16. I'm so glad. Oh, hallelujah. And blessed are the people that know the joyful sound. Why? Because we, like John, we've heard a voice. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord. Why? Because we've heard the joyful sound. If you don't hear the sound, you can't walk. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. What is it we're beholding in this cloud? What is it we're seeing in this cloud? What is the sign that was given in the heavens? We shall walk in the light of thy countenance. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And what are we beholding? The light of thy countenance. Proverbs 16, 15. In the light of the king's countenance is life. Where was this picture published? Life magazine. In the light of the king's countenance. What was it Brother Branham identified in the third pool? The king's sword. What did he say we were in? The presence of the king. In the light of the king's countenance is life. And his, the king's favor, is as a cloud of the latter rain. What is it, Brother Branham was showing us to come into pass? That was the face of our Lord Jesus Christ represented in that cloud. Life had come to us. And his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. Right there we can see a symbol in the sky and a scripture in the Bible. In the light of the king's countenance. This is what we're brought to see. In light of the king's countenance is life and his favor. His favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. 
It's in the light of the king's countenance. When Brother Brown's preaching the breach, he says the seals was broke in the last church age to reveal these truths. Why? The lamb broke the seals and revealed them to his church in order to collect his subjects for his kingdom, his bride. He wants to bring his subjects to him now. What is he doing? He's revealing his secrets. That's how Brother Brown said they're gathered. He reveals his secrets and that gathers not just subjects as in slaves, but it brings the bride to the king's side. He reveals his secrets in order to summon the queen to come to his side for an invisible union. So it's the king who breaks those seals in order to collect his subjects for his kingdom in the light of the king's countenance is life. In the message, it is the rising of the sun. Brother Bram says they didn't know what it was. And we knew. Just look this way. He's pointing to this picture. It's our Lord up there. You see, he is the one who opened those seals. He is those seals for the whole word of God is Christ and Christ is the seals that was opened. What is the open of the seals then? Revealing Christ. And he, and he connects that with the third pull. The third pull is the open of those seals, the open of the word. And the very seven angels, which represented the seven church ages, churches all completed. And we couldn't even see it. They did. They took the picture, not us. And there he is standing there, supreme judge, showing that he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. What identification? What an identification for us in this hour. What an identified presence. A, a cloud being expressed. Now, what's significant about this cloud? As we're looking at this cloud, as we're pondering these things, in light of the king's countenance, there's life. And his favors as the cloud of the latter rain. As I'm asking the question, do you remember what day it is? When the pillar of fire was photographed over Brother Branham in Houston in the early 1950s, that was a time of darkness for the church. And in the first exodus, it was a pillar of fire by night. But what did he lead them by day with? A cloud. So now when a cloud appears and a cloud is identified, it's no longer just a pillar of fire by night, but now it's a cloud because it's day. And it's this cloud that's leading the bride to a meeting in the air. It says in his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. A cloud of the latter rain. It's a latter rain cloud. Think of what Brother Branham said about the, the latter rain. It was a harvesting rain. It was a rapturing rain. It was a power rain. Here's the cloud of that rapturing power rain. The open of the seals gives rapturing faith. Rapturing faith is contained in the opening of that word. What's coming to us in quickening power. It snatches us from death to life. Quickening power lets us see is coming. Quickening power did that. What is it? It's the harvest rain. It's the rapturing rain. And here's a cloud of the latter rain. And his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain said in verse 14 mercy and truth psalms 89 14 mercy and truth shall go before thy face you can never separate mercy from truth cannot separate it mercy and truth are met together in jesus christ it says mercy and truth shall go before thy face so even though there might be a dispensational change from lamb to lion even though it might be entering a judgment dispensation that doesn't mean mercy's cut off because mercy and truth go before his face it says in Psalms 102.13, Thou shalt arise, he shall arise, and have mercy upon Zion. For the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. Oh, there's dust and rubble, but there's a time for God to build again Zion. And there's a set time he arises to have mercy upon Zion. And Brother Bram said this, Zion is always the bride. For the time to favor her, yea, the set time has come. And what does the open of the seals reveal to us? It actually reveals the bride's justification. 
It reveals her origin in Christ. In revealing her origin, it declares her destiny in Christ. It declares she's judicially righteous. She never did it in the first place. This cloud reveals his favor. His favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. And Brother Branham says there it was Hoffman's head at 33. Now, if you look at the rich young ruler and, and you look at that picture... And Hoffman's head, Hoffman at Christ at 33, the whole picture is the picture of the rich young ruler. And I could solicit hands and say, how many of you knew that? And raise your hands. Those of you at home, you could tap your child next to you and say, I knew that. That Hoffman's head of Christ comes from the larger picture, Christ at 33. And it shows him talking to the rich young ruler. And in Hoffman's head of Christ, he's talking to the rich young ruler who's to his left. And he's looking to the rich young ruler on his left who walks away from eternal life and grieved in his heart because he had many possessions. And we know it was the thief on the left that is not pardoned but now if you look in this picture here as he when he reveals himself in the cloud when he reveals himself in the air he's not looking to his left to the thief he's not looking to his left to the rich young ruler but he's looking to his right he's looking away from those who've rejected him and he's looking to the right just as he pardoned the thief on the cross he's looking to the bride of his right hand he's looking to the one that's summoned to his side and he has nothing but favor in the light of the king's countenance is favor and forgiveness and justification and life he's looking to his right in that picture oh we could say light has come the light of the king's countenance and the paradox continues because Proverbs 4 18 to 19 says but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day Oh, hallelujah. I want to read verse 19 and I'll come back to that verse the way of the wicked is as darkness they know not what they, at what they stumble And these two things are happening right at the same time. You have the path of the just is as shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And at the same time, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. This is what the message is showing us. This is what the message is declaring to us. The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Our light will never diminish. The light that we're walking in, just just as the world, but as the world is going, they're stumbling in darkness. The world, Laodicea, they 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 fade. Brother Brown says they fade into darkness. They fade into into chaos. They're tumbling into further darkness. It's a complete blackout. Even at the time that Brother Brown's opening these seals and preaching about the opening of the word, the world, Laodicea, it's going into complete chaos, total darkness. When it was written on the wall, it was complete total blackout of the moon. But while that's happening, our light doesn't diminish. We are fading into bride light. That's what we're going into. You say fading into bride light. Well, maybe the language that's being used, fade, seems like it diminishes and fades, but it's merging in, it's blending into bride light that never wanes, that never fades, that has no shadow, that has no darkness, that never gets dim. There is no end. There is no shadow. The bride light never ends. The path of the justice is a shining light that shineth more and more as unto a perfect day. The word that we're feeding on. The path that we're walking in is leading to a meeting in the air. We continue here in Psalms 89, verses 14 to 16. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Verse 16, in thy name shall they rejoice. Burbam said, in God's only provided place of worship, and the name is the word because he is the word. In thy name shall they rejoice. It's not Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's the word. Amen. What is he then? He says the word interpreted is the manifestation of the name of God. 
And the word interpreted, God interprets his word by bringing it to pass. So you have to have a manifestation or a fulfillment to have the name of God. The word interpreted is the manifestation of the name of God. In thy name shall they rejoice. Oh, blessed are the people that know the joyful sound. In thy name, the word interpreted, the manifestation of the name of God, we rejoice. It says, in thy name shall they rejoice all the day. Why, there is no night. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day. And in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. God's righteousness has been revealed to us. Oh, do you remember what day it is? God's righteousness has been revealed. Stop looking at all the doom and gloom and all the negativity and all the naysaying and what this world's future has. God's righteousness has been revealed to us. Brother Brown said the beginning of righteousness is God's revealed truth. We have God's revealed truth. That is the beginning of righteousness. And in righteousness shall we be exalted. That's the bride's exaltation. That's what lifts us up. Is The beginning of righteousness is God's revealed truth. The word interpreted is the manifestation of the name of God. And Brother Branham says, and what is the attraction of the mountain? And then we could take down this slide here. He says, from the very thing happening to the picture being Jesus standing looking at us. And now exactly on Sunset Mountain and the sunset light, the evening light has come. God vindicating himself. There's an evening light. You can look in the scripture, you can look in literature, you can just look in our own experience. There's an evening light and it speaks of how the same light that rose in, in the east is the same light that sets in the west. And we could say that there is an evening light, a fading light, a, a dimming, a weakening for humanity, for the Gentile, church, the Gentile ages. But it's not only a setting sun that Brother Bradham is pointing us to, but a rising sun. Because he says it's a new message, a new day, a new book, a new Bible, a new land. Think of all the news. So it can't just be the same old. There's something new that's come. He says he's opened up a, a message for a new day, a new book, a new land. And if you go to Zechariah 14, 6 and 7, and it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. It's a, it's a, it's a dismal time. It's a gloomy time. You don't know what time it is. Is it sun setting? Is the sun rising? It's the feeling you get when you've gotten home from work or school and you go to sleep and you fall asleep in the afternoon and you wake up and you think it's morning. Why? Because it's that time of day where it looks like the sun is rising. You wake up and you get ready for school and you're all ready. You're saying, oh man, I got to get ready for school. It's late. Everybody's looking at you like you're crazy. And maybe your family might play a prank on you and do that and just make you think it's time for school. And you throw your backpack on, you put your snow boots on and you run outside in the middle of the snow. And it's actually a a setting sun, not a rising sun. Because it can be that time of day where you don't know what it is. And so this is spiritually, this is a scriptural sign. Is it light? Is it dark? What's going on? It says, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord. Now run that through the Bible. Run that through the message. The day that's known by the Lord. He says, not day or night. So it's not something that's definitive that people can determine. He says, but it shall come to pass that at the evening time, this is a phenomenon, at the evening time, it shall be light. He's actually speaking of a tremendous phenomena. While the sun is setting on something, the sun is risen for someone else. While the sun is setting and the moonlight is coming on and the darkness is coming over all the earth, there is a light that comes at the evening time. It shall be light. Oh, it's evening time, but the light has come. Behold, the Lord does a wondrous work. And so I said, I've been preaching, it's, 8.22 on the clock I'm looking at here on the computer. I think I started preaching right around maybe 8.10, 8.15. And so 
excuse, well, I say 8.15, I may be in uh, central time, but uh, at 7.15, I hope maybe I can just make that stick. I started preaching eight minutes ago. Well, we started preaching just over an hour ago, and I wanted to bring this to a close. I just have a, a several, uh, several quotes just to hammer in here real quick. But now Brother Branham brings us Zechariah 14, 6, and 7, and says, this is message scripture. At the evening time, it shall be light. What light are we looking at? It's bride light. He says in the message, Shalom. Now, I say to the church, Shalom, God's peace, peace. I'm just going to pull out little snippets from this. In other words, good morning. God be with you. God's peace go with you. It's a good morning. How do you do? He says, it's breaking day, church. It's darkness on the, upon the people, but it's good morning to the church. Christ is appearing among us. Shalom, peace, hallelujah, shalom. There's your paradox. Darkness upon the church. Darkness upon the world. But it's good morning to the bride. He says it's breaking of the day, church. He's trying to get us to realize, though it's evening time to the world, and they have their evening light, there's a bright light, which is the rising of the sun. He's saying, Shalom, good morning. That's why to a believer, no matter what time of the day it is, when they call you, you can say, good morning. And they can laugh and say, well, good morning. And say, well... He says to the bride, it's good morning. Christ is appearing among us. Paragraph 115, Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise and shine for the light has come to you. Rise and shine. The light has come. This is his message to us. The word light is vindicated again. The light vindicated again. God's word so that you can see God manifested in his promise of the light of the day. So that you can see the manifestation of the name of God. So that you can see the word made flesh in this hour. See, God manifested in his promise of the light of this day or the word given to this age, these promises that's been made for this day. The light of the day, the word to this age, the promises made for this day. These promises that were said by the prophets and by Jesus himself in this day. Do you remember what day it is? Paragraph 130, rise and shine for the light has come to you. The word light is vindicated. The only way as God was, Jesus Christ was the manifestation of God's spoken word. The light of the hour is the same today. Paragraph 135, you can't walk in that light, you Baptist. This is the light of the hour. The light has come, rise and shine. The word light, word, the manifested word of God identified is a light. I know it may be getting late on this Wednesday night. We may not be in the custom of a lengthy service on a Wednesday night right now. But listen, this is not the time to develop bad habits. This is not the time to get used to not driving to church. This isn't the time to not get used to sitting under the word of God. This isn't a time to get used to the comforts of Laodicea. This is not a time to go to sleep. I'd even say it right now at 826 on this Wednesday evening. Now's not the time to fall asleep. Now's not a time to lay down. Not, now's not the time to get complacent. It's day. Oh, how you to the bride, it's rise and shine. Now's not the time to fall asleep. But as a matter of fact, now's the time to be fully awake. Be wide awake or you'll miss it. The light has come, rise and shine. He says, I've heard, but now I see. Again, this is 1965, November 27th in the evening. He says, now it's begin to pull away. The wheat's begin to be seen. This is not a Pentecostal age. This is the latter day age. This is the bride age. This is the evening light. If you believe the light at the evening time, you believe, you've got to believe it's the bright age. This is not the Pentecostal age. This is the bright age. This is the climax age. This is the eagle age. 
Do you remember what day it is? Under normal circumstances, perhaps we'd invite the musicians to come. So I'm just, I, I, I'm creating expectation of a close. He says, do you remember? I'm asking you, do you remember what day it is? In John 14, 20, at that day ye shall know that I am in the Father and ye in me and I in you. That's actually an unfolding of the expression of God. It's actually a, a, a characteristic of God. I am in the Father and he says, and ye in me. Because we've all been baptized into Christ. But now the revelation comes, I and you. And it says, at that day ye shall know. It's not that at that day something, something changes in my relationship to, uh, to the individual and to the believer. But now you enter into a different dispensation, a different season, a different time. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father. So now Christ is in the Father. And he says, and you are in him. So it's like those little Russian dolls. He's in the Father and you're in Him. But now He completely changes it and makes it something you can't quite unpack. And I in you. Now that's never happened before. You've never opened that up and seen one inside the other and then opened up and seen one inside the other and then opened up and find the first one inside the second one. But no, rather this is something that only God can do. Bind you together in an indivisible way. It's not just an invisible union, but it's an indivisible union. At that day you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, but I am also in you for the full expression of God. And Brother Bam takes this. And he nails it down for our age so it's indisputable. There's no way that you can uh, 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 miss this. In Christ is the mystery of God revealed as God was in Christ, Christ in you. When God did in Christ, what God did in Christ, Christ does in you. What signs did God in Christ, Christ does in you. Isn't that beautiful? Oh my, I like that. Jesus said at that day, Brother Brennan says, that is this day. At that day, Brother Ben says, when this revelation is made known, you will know that I am in the Father and the Father in me and I and you and you and me. Brother Ben says, when the revelation is made manifest, at that day ye shall know that I and the Father are one. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Brother Ben says, then when the revelation comes forth, then it's I in you and you in me. Hallelujah, when the mystery in the back part of God's mind is being made known to his elect and being made known to the bride, then we know that he is in us and we are in him and it's an indivisible union. What day? He says, that day is this day. Do we remember what day it is? That day is this day. Oh, Lord, help us if we have any amnesia. If we allowed ourselves to get distracted by the world. I mean, I read this real quick, and, and I, I've appreciated so much the emphasis that our pastor's been placing uh, on certain things during this time to, to get our focus on the Word of God, and even talking about desperation. I, and I, so I just want to repeat what he's been saying as I close, and this is so that I have, an ex, I have a perfect excuse to keep continuing now in this late hour. Because I'm rehearsing what our pastor shared with us already. I said how there's certain situations in the world that cause desperation. And people wait until the world's falling apart to get desperate. And he's identifying that God's actually already given the bride what she needed to be desperate. The whole world's desperate right now. 
They're desperate for job relief. They're desperate for health relief. They're desperate for more meat at Wendy's. They're all desperate for many different things right now. The whole world's desperate. You say, the bride's desperate too, but we're not desperate by the same cause. We're not desperate for the same things. Something else has caused our desperation. The nonsense in the world's causing their desperation. And we're not like the world that responds in a time of panic and a time of chaos to start getting serious. We've already heard a message that said, you better get serious. You better be dressed. You better be eating this with your shoes on. You better have the token applied to your home. You better get all the trash out. We've already heard that message. So he says in the message, desperation, the days that we're living in should cause the church to go completely into desperation. But it's not just the day of chaos. It's the day of the revealing of the Son of Man. Because I believe since the message this morning from God, what did he preach that morning? And everyone said the token. I believe since the message this morning from God, not me, I believe it ought to throw this entire congregation of desperation. What would do that? The message, the token does it. That we have played long enough. We went to church long enough. We've got to do something. How is it that we can see other great signs and wonders done on others? And what about us? It should cause an estate of desperation that we are determined before God. The signs of his coming should bring this entire congregation. When we've read it from the word, listen, the signs of his coming should bring Hickory Bible Tabernacle under desperation. Not the signs of oncoming tribulation, but the signs of his coming. He says, and the Holy Spirit's told us, go to a certain place, such a thing will happen. Not tell us what it was, but it would happen. We go there, it happens. The newspapers pack it, the magazines pack it, show us the picture of it. I've showed you all these things tonight myself. He says, come back here and see these great mysteries hidden in the Bible, opened up to us on a new field that we never know before and perfectly blends into the coming of the Lord Jesus. Then at the end of the messages, see the action of the great Holy Spirit. See him come down visible before the pit people, even take a a picture of it see it working and showing that it's not man it's not just a preacher it's not a certain congregation it's the holy spirit showing the same thing it did when it embodied the body of jesus christ now it's embodied in the body of his bride it should throw us into desperation hallelujah what throws the bride into desperation the very embodiment of christ in her that's what throws her into desperation that's what causes us to get serious now, if you just would like to perhaps bow your heads, and I, I want to read a statement as you're bowing your heads there at your homes. If you have the opportunity to hold the wife, of, to hold the hand of your a spouse, gather your kids close together. If there's anyone that feels that presence of the Lord where you're sitting now, I would just tell you to right now just sober yourself up. Set down anything else that you may have in your hands. Bow your heads in the presence of God and ask yourself, do I remember, Lord? Do I remember what day it is? And Brother Bram says in the message, the token, God's big clock ticks perfect. It won't be one minute fast or one minute behind. It'll be just exactly on the time. He says, you see, everything was running just right, could not come at other times. Neither could these things come at other times. This could not have come in the days of Luther. It could not have come in the days of Wesley. The days of Baptists or Methodists or in their days, it couldn't have come. It has to come now. Israel has to be a nation. Churches has to be like they are now. There, there had to be a third, a third church age. There had to be a Laodicea, he says. It could not form until Pentecost came and shot their wad, went out and organized and did what they did. And what is he identifying now? The, the events now in 1964 that he's pointing out. 
these things that transpired in 1963, this is our point of reference. This is our focus. This is what's led us to this point. And he brings us, he says, the time has to come now. None of these things, neither could these things come at other times. It has to come now. And he said, now after Pentecost, which is the Laodicean church age, has organized and done what they did, he says, then it has to come. Then comes the Lord. When they put him out of the church, he says, he is the word. With your heads bowed, think of that now. He says, then it has to come. Then comes the Lord when they put him out of the church. He is the word. Do you remember now what day it is? With our heads bowed, I'm going to offer a word of prayer just before we close our service. You husbands with your wives, maybe a mother with her daughter, children gathered together with a single parent, whatever it might be. Maybe even a brother Elliot or a brother Caleb, maybe some single brothers gathered together by themselves, Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord dealing with their hearts. Father, gather with his wife and daughters, whoever it might be now, Lord. We're sincere in your presence. Lord, the world may look at this action tonight as foolishness. Even maybe some of our own friends would criticize a preacher behind the pulpit sweating and screaming to an empty room. But Lord, this word is precious. It's more than life. And Lord, I pray now as our heads are bowed and hands are held and hearts are drawn close to you and we're asking ourselves, do we remember what day it is? I pray, Lord, you'll push away the cobwebs. Lord, you'll clear the concussion. You take away the amnesia. Restore the temporary memory loss, Father. Whatever it might be, dementia, however you'd want to characterize it spiritually, Lord. Lord, it's been almost two months since we've gathered together as a church in fellowship to sit under the word, to be in your house. Families, Lord, that used to drive over two hours round trip on a Wednesday, unable to come. Lord, others who would drive maybe five hours round trip on a Sunday to be in service, Lord, unable to come. Lord, many, they're, 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 they're disciplined, Lord, and the things that they hungered for, the things that they did have been broken up. But Lord, we don't want to use any of that as an excuse. We have to remember what day it is, Lord. We have to remember what time we're living in. We're living in bride time. We're living in rapture time. We're living in a time where you're placing your people, our pastor focusing on the placing of the person, Lord, by your, in the dispensation that we're living in for the promise of the day that we're living in. Lord, I, help, I pray that you help us, Lord. If we've developed any bad habits where the next time we're given an opportunity to come to church, Lord, may there not be one that says, oh, I can't make it. Lord, but if the opportunity is granted, may they say, I'm, want, I'm wanting to come. I'm wanting to be in fellowship because I remember the day that I'm living in. Bless your people, Lord. Continue to be with Brother Barry and Sister Becky. Challenges they have there in Virginia with Brother Fulcher, Lord. We pray that you t- keep your hand about him. Restore Brother Barry the health there in his arm. We pray for the body of Christ, Lord, around the world that's suffering, that's under difficult circumstances. We pray for the many that we know personally that are sick and afflicted with the, with the disease, Lord. We pray that you heal them and make them well. And Father, now I commit the people into your hands as I close. May your grace be upon them. May your presence be with them. And may we know without a shadow of a doubt what day we're living in, Father. Commit them to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming out of the house of the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We love you. You can go on the fear of the Lord until we meet again.
God bless you.